Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center, Rise Up Subs, and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. Christmas is right around the corner, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you have made it out to the Costco's, the Walmarts, the Targets of the world, or Amazon, if you're smart, sit back, let the package come to you. Got all your presents purchased, bust out the wrapping paper and the tape, getting ready to celebrate the big day coming up. Today is, what is today? Today's, yeah, the 8th, December 8th. Man, getting close. Getting close. Today I have the really cool opportunity to have uh, a peer of mine uh, she's got way more experience than me, probably a lot more knowledge. Her name is Caprice Compton. She's a clinical mental health counselor. She currently works at Advanced Neurohealing. We're going to talk about a lot of that stuff, but welcome to the podcast, Caprice. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, excited to have you on here. So I always do this whenever I have a professional working in the field uh, and they don't necessarily want to come on and share their story if they... You know, uh, I'm like, okay, pick a topic. Caprice came back with healing from trauma. Yeah. So obviously this is something you're passionate about. Yes, I am. Yeah. You work in the field every day. I do. That's my specialty is trauma therapy. So you're considered a trauma informed therapist. (laughs) Well, if you ask me, yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Well, sounds like we got the credentials for you to have this topic. I'm excited to jump into all that stuff. Before we get to that though, let's show our sponsor some love. Episode 139, part one is brought to us by Steps Recovery Centers. Steps Recovery Centers is an adult substance abuse and mental health treatment provider. Steps Recovery Centers provides all levels of care. What does that mean? That means they have a medical detox facility, multiple residential treatment centers, and outpatient services reaching from the top of Utah to the bottom. Recovery starts with you, and at Steps Recovery Centers, there is always hope. Call them today at 801-800-8142 or visit their website at stepsrc.com to learn more. Caprice, you used to work for Steps. I sure did. You were a... Clinical director. Clinical director. Yeah. Yeah. You're legendary. I hear stories (laughs) to this day about some of the clinicians (laughs) I still work with. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I I really loved that. Well, good. Yeah. Yeah. I I know there's a few stories out there that are... (laughs) Sometimes you got to be tough as the clinical director, right? You do, especially, yeah, yeah, in recovery, yeah. It's life or death, you know? Well said, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we also have our second sponsorship is Rise Up Supplements. Rise Up Supplements is a nootropic line aimed at optimizing brain function and supporting mental health. They have two powerful blends. Mindful Mood helps decrease anxiety and enhance mood. It's the break. Slow the brain down. Mind Shift helps increase focus and optimize brain function. It's the gas pedal. Get you going. Place your order today at riseupsups.com. That's R-I-S-E-U-P-S-U-P-S dot C-O-M. At checkout, punch in, in all caps, PODCAST20 to save yourself 20% off just for listening to this podcast. Again, these are supplements for the brain, nootropics. They help build those neural pathways. They help increase blood flow to the brain. Two different blends there. We appreciate them sponsoring this podcast. Have you ever have you ever done any nootropics? Any nootropics? Um, I've one time. One time? Yeah. <laughs> one time when I was in college. <laughs> what? No, it's actually not very long ago. <laughs> okay, yeah. I thought that was gonna. Yeah, that had like a whole story behind it. But yeah, I did. Not from right. Not from Rise Up, but I'm gonna try Rise Up now. Yeah, we'll have to get you a bottle. Yeah. Which one would you be interested in, the, the gas pedal or the brake? Gas pedal. Gas pedal, mind yeah. shift. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Awesome. You, you do those? Yeah. Yeah, me and my wife started that supplement company a oh. year ago. Okay. You know how I got into it? No. Do you mind if we just chop yeah, it up? Yeah, I would love it, yeah. So I got to the point where like, I was working in this field. Mm-hmm. A lot of clients are, I don't want to say like doomsdayers or what is that called when you're like... Victim? You think the government's oh so conspiracy theorists? Yeah, I don't want to oh. say paranoid or conspiracy theorists, but they're against prescription medications. Oh yeah, you know the type, right? Yes. And so, oftentimes, the conversation would go, "Well, there's some really great, you know, herbs and vitamins and blends out there. Have you considered trying any yeah. of those?" And they would be like, "Oh yeah, I'd totally do that." And so, I would get a pen and paper and write out all these different 
you know, like supplements. Yeah, Guayu, sure, five oh. HTP, or you know what I mean. Some uh-huh. of the different, um, you know, herbs and and stuff. And it got to the point where it was like overwhelming. So one night I went home and I told my wife, I used to work for a supplement manufacturing company. Why don't we just do these blends? And she's like, let's do it. Wow. Is that how you know about it? Is because you used to work for a company that did it? Yeah. I was basically the, they call it an executive assistant. I was the gopher. Go for this, go for that (laughs) for the company. I helped manage projects through from orders to completion. And so I called my buddy Joe and... And said, hey, man, what would it what would it take to do this? And he said, let's rock and roll. So you had to make your own, the ones you want, the blended the ones you want. Really? Yeah. yeah. What's your favorite blend? Depends on what I got going on. Mm. If I'm walking into group and I'm knowing I'm going to have to deliver some news and it's going to be a little contentious, I like the mindful mood because it helps kind of calm me, keep me relaxed. Okay. Right? Yeah. If I got a lot of charting to do, I got to catch up on clinical notes and do some URs or some assessments. I like Favorite the mind part? shift because right. I'm dialed in and focused and oh. it's like a herbal ADD medicine. I don't know if I should say that, but it's helps increase focus and optimize brain function. How long does it last? Usually two to three hours. Really? It'll lock in there for And the a calm, hours. does that, is it like you would, it doesn't make you sleepy? It no. just calms you down. Yeah. Like if you're going to public speak or... Something like that. Correct. It's hmm. a natural beta blocker, right? Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Yeah. Appreciate you. I'll have to try it. So, Caprice, tell yeah. us about. We got our listeners here. We're all anxious to, to dive into the topic of trauma. But before we do that, how do we get to know Caprice? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I. <laughs> I grew up all over the country, so I grew up mostly in El Paso, and then we lived in New York City, and I lived in Minnesota. I graduated from high school in Minnesota, um, did some of my undergrad in Utah, but then finished in University of South Florida, so I've lived all over. Um, I grew up, my mom, when she was younger but had my brother and I, she got in a terrible car accident and broke her pelvis. Mm. And her back. And so from that time, I don't remember her really being addicted when she was, when I was little, but as I got older, she had a really horrific, um, opiate addiction. And so I grew up with that. I have, and so that's kind of what got me onto the path was my mom just really struggling and I remember she had had back surgery and I, she was in the hospital at Tampa general and I went in to visit her and she asked me to hand her her makeup bag. And so I handed it to her and she was so out of it because they had, she had just had back surgery. Oh, so sure. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She had morphine going and whatever else. And I hand her the, her makeup bag and she pulls out this little like, um, travel size <laughs> thing that she thinks she's being so like low key key, and she like sticks her hand in and grabs a handful of pills and sticks them in her mouth and then rubs her hand all over her face and post-surgery she's got probably tons of chemicals already oh and i'm standing there like oh my gosh what do i do right so i knew she had a problem and i think up to that point i had already found her dead and Mm -hmm. had called ems probably half a dozen times Saved your life a few times. Yeah. And so I was like, oh man. Back so then they didn't have like the Narcan and stuff like no, that either. Yeah. We didn't have stuff like that. And so I ended up going home, going to her house and searching her house, which this made me not a fan of hers for the, pretty much for the rest of her life. But mm. I found so many drugs hidden everywhere and about $7,000 in cash. And gave you a whole new perspective of yeah, your Yeah. And I was like, so we found a place for her to go because she had a morphine pump at the time. They had to get that taken out and we got her into treatment and it was sort of a game changer. So as a family, we went to the Betty Ford clinic to do the family week of understanding addiction. Sure. And huge eye opener for me. How old are you at this time? So I was an adult. So I was like in my early thirties. Have you Had you started going into the path of counseling, therapy, psychology, any of that yet? No, I hadn't. I had little kids. I had done, I had done my undergrad, but then I was a stay at home mom. So I did, I hadn't done any of that yet. Yeah. So your own personal story kind of put you in the path of what you do today. It did. Yeah. 
That's crazy. How was the Betty Ford Center? I've heard that place is just amazing. It's amazing. And they do a really good job with like family, like the family trauma, which you could call it that. Cause I think that any, anyone who has suffered from a pervasive addiction experiences trauma and so does the family. Oh yeah. You know what that looks like for my mom? What? No. Hey mom, I'm going to run to Maverick and grab a drink. Okay. 10 minutes later, uh, get a phone call. Hey, are you a Maverick? Yeah, mom. I, I promise. Right? Yeah. The only times I've told her I'll just be right back. Right. You know what I mean? And so my first couple years in recovery, I realized it used to really irritate me because I was like, mom, 27 years old. I can do it. Don't check on me. Yeah. yeah. Leave me alone. Right. And then I realized like, you know, doing the therapy thing and I'm like, I instilled some trauma in yeah. my mom. Yeah. Crazy. Right. So I get it. Like yeah. if you have a loved one that's been in active addiction, it's a family, it's a whole family thing. Oh, it is. And it's, it's funny just cause like, so my parents had money. So my mom never did street drugs. So in her oh. mind, she was like, I am mm. not like these people. Oh yeah. You know, which we've seen that like, and I, I get that she doesn't see that or didn't cause she did pass away. But, um, one of the ways that we justify it in our yeah. minds. Yeah, because it's a prescription. Sure. You know, even though she's got like 27. Yeah. yeah so that, that kind of got me on the path. And then I've had, a, I've had my other trauma as a child and I ended up doing therapy and had some great therapists that helped me work through it. And it was so interesting to me, the journey of like, so when I first started doing my personal childhood trauma therapy that it was horrible. It was horrific. And I did not want to do it. What made it horrific? Because the trauma was horrible. Okay. Yeah. It was horrible. And I didn't, and it was so hard. I remember thinking if, if my therapist said, look, we can douse you in gasoline and light you on fire <laughs> okay, or you can talk about this. Uh, I would have been like, give me the match. Douse, yeah. Douse me in I the gasoline. I do not want to talk about Let's this. Let's roll. Yeah. It's, it was so excruciating. But I think that through that process, I learned that you, on the other side, it gets worse before it gets better, but mm. then you have this freedom that you can't, in my opinion, and this is just me, because I think there are other schools of thought behind trauma and how, and the modalities and how to work through it. But my experience and, and with my patients and also myself was you got to walk through that yeah. so that it isn't controlling you. And it, it it's horrible. It's horrific, but that's where you earn the freedom from it. So it does not rule you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And so, which is why I'm passionate about it. Cause I, it's, it's a horrible thing to live with. I also think that it, there, there's this thing, right. Where like you spot it, you got it, it kind of a reverse concept of that is it's important for you to understand the pain and the vulnerability and some of the challenging things when talking about traumatic experiences, because you know how it is, like as a yep. clinician, you sit and you're, and you're trying to help them walk through this yeah. and at the same time have enough empathy <laughs> that if they've gotten into the red zone, if they're in the weeds, yeah. like how yeah. do we, right? Because yeah. you don't want them leaving in more distress than they came in. Right. And so right. knowing, having been through something yourself and had to go through therapy and find that window of tolerance, if you will, how yeah. much you can push versus when it's time to apply the brakes. Right. I feel like is really key, especially it when it comes to some of these really traumatic things that people have been through. I hundred percent agree with you. And I think, and this is again, my opinion, um, which might make some people not happy, but I believe that like as a therapist, I I'm, I've been surprised to learn how many therapists haven't had therapy, mm. which to me <laughs> makes it hard for you. Cause I've seen that w with therapists, like then they avoid certain things. They avoid the discomfort sometimes. And I think, so it's the opposite side of the coin of what you were talking about. They avoid that because, you know, they don't want them to hurt or really subconsciously they don't want to go there. Yeah. We call that, uh, Oh, reverse transference. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, because you're so uncomfortable with yes. your own beliefs and your own delusions and your own 
fears protectors, that you are right? unwilling your protector to, parts. to push your clients yeah. through theirs yeah. because it's, it's too hard for you. It's too hard for you. Yeah. And so I think, I mean, I've, this will be an aggressive statement, but I'm going to stand behind it. And I'm not saying this is like in the ACA book of rules or whatever. The nice thing about your opinion is no <laughs> fact checkers can check right? it because it's your opinion. Because it's my opinion. So you can check me. All right. There you go. <laughs> I believe in, in ways to practice as a clinician, you have to have done your own therapy, your own work, or it is malpractice. Oh. Now, I know. That's aggressive because it isn't malpractice. Let's get that again. I know. That's a, I, that is. That's a strong statement. It is a strong statement. And I know there's people who are would not be happy with me saying that or, or disagree. But I think it's like what we were talking about with recovery. Um, I know when I was working as a clinical director, I think one of the things that was said, like, if you're ready to be done, go down to St. George. If you're not ready to be done... If you go to St. George, you're going to go to jail. Really? Because Caprice isn't playing. <laughs> and I think that, that I fits I, some of the that fits right? some of the Have you heard something like that, that yeah, tiny bit yeah. like that. But I, I was I'm very passionate about that because it is life and death. Mm-hmm. I watched my mom die, and in my for, so for me it was like no one's going to die on my watch. I'm not letting that happen. You'll go. You can go to jail before you die. Sure, because at least in jail you're safe. Yeah. Well, relatively. Ish, right? Yeah. As you know, Ty, you know, he's like, there's no mints on the pillows, but you know, it's not that great of a time. Yeah, yeah definitely no mints on the pillows. Nope. And if there is, you want to avoid it. Yeah. You probably don't want to eat that mint. Anyway. Yeah. I think it's, I, I completely agree with the statement. It is a very bold statement. You know, if, if you're unwilling to do your own trauma work and, and therapy, you know, trying to facilitate it for somebody else. How do you do that? At best is, Yeah. I mean, when you think and about imp- it, like, how is that not malpractice? Right. Right. Like, because you're, you're tr- convincing someone that it is okay to avoid something that is destroying their life. Mm. Right. Because when we are ruled by our trauma, we, we augment or further destructive behaviors and thought patterns. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. So when I, I tell you, no, we don't need to talk about this. We don't need to go here. I'm. I'm telling you like you're okay and you're not okay. Right. Right. Yeah. You're skimming over that wound. Let's do this. I feel like we're really, and I love this. We could sit and do this all day. I feel like me and you were really dialed in because we really understand what we're talking about. Let's, let's generalize it a little bit for maybe the listener that doesn't work in this field, doesn't quite know or understand what we're talking about. Let's address because I'm going to say the word trauma. Okay. A lot of people have a lot of different understandings of that. For some people, they've gone through difficult events and it's not trauma. For other people, they've gone through trauma, right? right? And, and so what, let me just start here. How would you define trauma? Yeah, that's a good question. I agree with you. And I've talked about this with some of my patients even like, so what, like, why does one person not suffer from trauma after an event. And let's say it's the same event, but somebody else does Mm. and nurture versus nature, biology versus our environment. I think there's a lot of factors that come into it, but when something affects your um, personal functioning to a point where it is um, number one, distressing and it affects your cognitive um, abilities, your decision-making, your behaviors, and they become hurtful to yourself or others. Mm -hmm. I believe that that qualifies as trauma. I mean, we can look in the DSM and look at what, like, you know, how, what diagnostic criteria. You said DSM and all of a sudden I got sleepy. (laughs) You're like, (laughs) (laughs) right. that's where I do that. (laughs) Cross the mic. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, you know, PTSD, we all talk about these kinds of things. And I really don't think you get through this experience on earth as a human without experiencing some sort of trauma. Yeah. Right? Well said. You really don't. Whether you experience it or not, whether you recognize it or not, most people have. Most people have. You have uh, your parent die, you yeah. know, or you get in a horrific car accident or you have a really horrible childbirth. Like, well, not you, cause you probably aren't going to have a baby. Your wife might. Right. 
Yeah, hopefully I don't give birth. But that would be really weird. That Actually, that be, might be, be really traumatic. awesome because then I could be studied by science. I'd be right? the first male to give birth to a child. Think of dilation. <laughs> and we go straight to trauma. So let's I just drop I'm just so sarcastic today. <laughs> you know, I heard somebody say once, though, that trauma could be compared to, you know, we all walk around with, with these suits of skin and blood and bones, mm -hmm. right? Trauma could could be compared to you know, if I'm rollerblading down the road and I turf it and I get a big old gash in my arm, it's an internal wound. That, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's exactly right. It's a good way of describing it. An internal wound. And, and just because we can't visually see it doesn't mean that it's not there. Right. And just like if I get an, you know, a physical wound, if, if we don't heal it, if we don't find a way to, yeah, heal it, yeah, become whole from it, right? then we're going to have an infection, let's say, right, that affects mm -hmm. us for a longer period, depending right. on when we get around to addressing it, than it would need to if we just treated it, healed it, and became whole from it. Right. Is that? That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why when I was saying before, like we have to dig down, let's say you have, you fall, you scrape your arm and it's infected, but you just sew it up. Mm. So then now you have an infection that's growing underneath your skin and it turns into staph and it gets in your blood and then you got, you know, yep. it's all Go fun and games. There. So you lose an arm. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well but said. Th but that's how it is emotionally for us when we don't, when we don't dig it out and get it all out, it, then it affects us yeah. for the rest of our lives. I would say, I, I would say if listeners, if you're listening to this and you're like, what are they talking about? Let, let me just share an example, right? If, if you, let's say you're married to a significant other, you know, in that relationship, there was some infidelity, mm -hmm. right? The infidelity led to a lack of trust. And now here you are, you get divorced, right? You marriage is over with you're a year or three years or five years down the road. And you still haven't, figured, healed from that, dealt with that. And with your new significant other, now you're checking their cell phone. You've yeah. got their location on, mm -hmm. right? Cause you're paranoid that they're yeah. going to be unfaithful or mm -hmm. because you haven't learned to trust again. Yeah. And so you become controlling and that maladaptive behavior is going to lead to a sick and toxic relationship. Yep. And it all comes back to whoosh, rewind the tape, the trauma of finding out that you were cheated on. Right, in the your betrayal, first marriage, right? the betrayal from your first marriage. I think it also impacts um, your reality. And when you think about it, because we, we're all looking for cues or data that supports whatever we feel, think and feel, right? So I walk in here and you kind of look at me weird. You walk in late and then I decide, oh, he doesn't want to do this with me. Like he just like... So then I start looking for cues that prove to me that that's right, because that makes me feel better. It's a subconscious validation, but we want to be validated for our feelings. So you, we go back to this couple, you know, and this person is married now to this new person, and they're looking for cues to prove that their partner isn't trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And they'll find you'll find them because they still have that hurt, right? But we it's find like what they'll we're find them for. because it's like confirmation bias. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And even if if it's just normal stuff, you're going to convince you based on your past wounds that something's funky is going on. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard that little story of the the guy. It's on a train, and he has like his three or four kids, and the kids are going crazy, and the kid and the man is just sitting there with his head in his hands, and everyone's looking at him like, get control of your kids. People are getting really irritated. The kids are running around just crazy. And finally, someone says something to him. And, you know, so everyone's thinking things, mm -hmm. right? They have the whole narrative in their heads about what they think about this person, this guy. What a terrible dad, whatever. And the dad finally looks up and is like, oh, I'm so sorry. We just left the hospital. My wife just died. I don't Ooh. know what I'm going to do. Which changes the narrative. In that instant, you see everything differently. Yeah. Right? But that is what we are always doing subconsciously. Always. And so when that's trauma driven, think of how that affects you on a daily basis, how everything. you see everything. Yeah. yeah. Your employment, your relationships, everything. Your, yeah. everything. Yeah. 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 There's the passion. Uh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love it. This is, this has been fun. I, we're going to jump into kind of some different questions and stuff here. So you work, you work at, at uh, advanced neurohealing right now. Would you say that what 
percentage of your patients come in with trauma that they need to work through? So, yeah. So I, I actually just opened advanced neurohealing. So it's my company. I'm super excited about that. Just got to say that. <laughs> um, majority of my patients have, have trauma. Okay, we're going to get back to that. We've, man, time flies when you're having fun. Right? We've got 10 seconds left in this first little, oh. but then we're going to have a message from our sponsorship and jump right back into this topic with Capri Compton. Caprice. Caprice Compton. <laughs> you are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center, Rise Up Subs in the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. If you or your loved one is trapped in the cycle of addiction, there is a way out. At Steps Recovery Center in Utah, we believe in second chances and new beginnings. Our evidence-based treatments, compassionate staff, and supportive community guide you on the path to recovery. It is time to reclaim your life. Take the first step towards freedom, resilience, and a brighter tomorrow. Reach out to Steps Recovery Centers today. Recovery starts with you. And at Steps, there is always hope. Call us or visit our website to learn more. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center, Rise Up Sups in the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. All right, we're going to jump right back into the topic of healing from trauma. Before we get back to that, though, we want to show our sponsors some love. Episode 139, part two is brought to us by the Hilton Garden Inn. It is always sunny and bright at the Hilton Garden Inn. If you or a loved one is looking for a getaway, if you got some family in southern Utah that you're planning on coming down and spending Christmas 2023 with, do me a favor. Go to Google, punch in Hilton Garden Inn, St. George, Utah. Check them out. Give them a shot at your business. They have amazing amenities. It's always real clean. Staff is always professional. Uh, we appreciate them sponsoring this podcast. Yeah. I apologize, Caprice. I, okay. We were just talking during that little uh, commercial there. And man, talking about like, you know, I was going to make a bad joke. It's not trauma, go but like it. the go, well, go, yeah. go, right? And yeah. then literally yeah. the story you told was accurate, right? I come in here uh, late and I, you know, it's one of those where you're running errands yeah. and you phone calls. My brain scrambled today. Totally. So, okay, let's it's jump back into to, uh, the conversation of trauma. One I of have the some things- calm pills. Do you want one? Right? I know right? I should have done some mindful mood. Mindful mood. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I got the gas pedal in me. I got the oh, mind dang shift. It. That's why you're like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so I love the first part, right? We just kind of established a baseline mm -hmm. trauma being like an internal wound, something right that you can't yeah. always see, but can be there, how it affects your perception of life, yeah. how it affects your relationships, how it affects everything moving forward can, can be a hindrance to you. Absolutely. And I think ultimately it creates a division between your psyche and your physical body. Absolutely. Right. And mm -hmm. when, when you're not whole, when you're not one, you're fragmented. When you're fragmented, you're not the best version of yourself. Right. That's why it's important to do the work, the trauma work, even though it can be really tough sometimes. Mm -hmm. Let's, let me hit you with a question. In your experience, what are some common misconceptions uh, about trauma and its treatment? Like, you know, I think a lot of people out there get the whole movie where, you know, like they go see somebody and they hold up a card and what do you interpret this as? Oh, right. And right. Like what some old see? school stuff. Yeah, like yeah. talk to me about it's 2023. What do we do today to treat trauma? Well, I think, I think it really is important to find a good therapist that you have a connection with. And I think that people don't understand that they can shop around. You know, so you go, I think, cause that's probably one of the most important things is that you feel connected to your therapist. You feel safe in that space. Um, obviously that they're qualified and yeah, that's kind of a huge yeah, thing. Right? I mean, yeah, well, it, it really <laughs> is. And people ask me like, what should I ask someone if I'm looking for a therapist? And, and I'm going back to my bold statement. I say you ask them if they've ever, if they've done their own therapy. Mm. Yeah. And that, that's just me. So I also think it's important to maybe share your intention on what you want to work on Absolutely. as far as trauma goes too, right? Because let's say, for example, I, this isn't for, this is literally a personal example. 
uh, I went through a pretty tough divorce and, and some kids were casualties of that. And so yeah. when I have a client that comes in and they're going through a separation, they're going through parental alienation, when they're going through yeah. that type of um, situation, it's, I won't take them personally because I'm working currently through that stuff. Right. right. And so the countertransference, like I'm like, no, it's let's get hard. you with somebody yeah. else. Right. Right. And so being up front and saying, here's, yeah, here's the work. Here's what it looks like. Yep. Here's what it looks like, smells like, tastes like. Yep. And then and then figuring out, is it a good fit for you and is it a good fit for me? Right. Yeah. Which I love that. And I think as clinicians, we have a responsibility to say that as well, right? Like, you know what? Let me refer you to someone. This is just not a, this isn't a good fit for me. Yeah. Because that's hard to do, I think, sometimes to admit that. But I agree. I've had a, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so building that therapeutic rapport is yeah. a huge piece. Huge right? piece. Yep. I also think oftentimes people, th- people have t- told me, you don't need a therapist. You just need a good friend. And I'm like, that's terrible. Terrible idea. <laughs> right. Terrible advice. But you should also have the same perspective as it really should feel like a friendship. It should feel like a partnership. It should feel absolutely right. Like if you're going in there and you're stiff as a board and you can't be yourself and you have to, you got mega cognition going on. You're thinking about your thoughts before you share them. It's not going to work. Right. And I think you have to be careful that you don't, you also don't care more about what your therapist thinks Mm. about you than you do, which I think a lot of people probably start out caring more about that, but you you know, I think it's hard. It's hard to be completely honest, right? Because we don't want to be judged. Yeah. Right. And so that's probably another, not probably, that is another piece I think to trauma therapy is like really feeling safe to be completely honest. And you might have to work up to that. That might not be day one, but you've got to be able to ask yourself, can I, can I, can I be completely honest with this person? Otherwise you don't actually really do all the work you need to do. Right. You know, we talked about that in the, our last episode, uh, 12 things, the 12 stupid things that cause relapse basically is, is mm. you got to be rigorously honest, right? Yep. Like if they go in and they remove cancer, they, they dig until they hit healthy cells. So they, they call they get clean margins. Yep. You got to get clean margins, right? Yeah. Yep. yeah. Well said. So if you're going to go in there and hold back or tell half truths, it's, you're not doing yourself any right. good and it's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. So one of the things, man, where was I? Okay. So one of the things that stick I, with me, I know Stay on task. I have so many thoughts <laughs> going through my mind. Um, so in your experience, somebody comes in, right. Mm-hmm. They, I know nowadays there's a lot of different things that they, that they use. Do you do yeah. the EMDR? Is it ARP? There's another one, an acronym. I can't keep up with all these acronyms. What is your typical modality when it comes to walking a client through traumatic events of their life? I don't do EMDR, but I I do refer out to a lot of people who do. And I think that's um, a great modality, especially if you have um, awareness of what your trauma is when it's when it's buried trauma. Sometimes that's harder because I don't think you you can avoid letting it out verbally first, but EMDR is a great modality. Um, I do a lot of IFS internal family systems. Okay. Yeah. Art therapy. And then, um, at my practice, we do, um, transcranial magnetic stimulation. So it's a brain stimulation that helps increase neuroplasticity and it helps develop your, it helps your brain become more efficient in producing dopamine and serotonin And what I've noticed with that is when I'm doing trauma therapy with a patient who's getting TMS at the same time, they, they progress through their therapy quicker. Yeah. They're able to respond a whole lot. Yeah. It's like their brain turns over faster. So it's, it's not less painful, but they transition quicker. You know, they're processing faster. Absolutely. You know, yeah. one of the things that I, that I love about that is, so TMS is a, is a medical yeah. procedure, Yeah. right? Like yes. it has to be done by a medical, uh, trained and licensed and everything mm-hmm. personnel, Yeah. which is beautiful because one of the things that I feel like sometimes drives me a little crazy in this field is medical, the medical people don't really get on board with trauma. Like right. if they can't prescribe you a pill, then right. they don't know what to do with you. Yeah. And so it's kind of cool that we have the 
TMS yep. and the neurofeedback today, which are medical procedures right. that help with trauma, that help heal the brain. Right. That's a more holistic, right? Because if our brains aren't healthy, neither are our bodies. Right. Right. We have to, we have to take care of all of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love that. It's just nice to have them, you know what I mean? Kind of getting on board and coming out with some new solutions. And yeah. So have you seen quite a, like you said, you started advanced neuro feed, sorry, advanced neuro healing. Yep. How mm-hmm. long ago? Uh, like September. Okay. Not very long ago. Not very yeah. long ago at all. But I've been doing, but I worked. Why TMS though in neurofeedback? So I, um. So in other words, you started, you want to start this company. You uh-huh. could do anything. Yeah. Why did you pick that? That's a good question. So I, when I, when I left steps as the clinical director and I worked in a private practice and they had TMS and I had never heard of it. And it was really fairly new because this is probably five or six years ago. It was new down here in St. George. And I was like, this is interesting. Let me see, you know, what this is all about. And so after working with hundreds of patients and seeing what it does, I was like, this is phenomenal. And it did bring to my mind, like, wow, you know, as we look at, um, people in recovery and healing from substance abuse are like, this is what they need because think about how long it takes for our brains to heal after pervasive substance abuse. Sometimes it never does. Right. Right. We call those people permafried. Yeah. <laughs> Bad joke. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know if that's a clinical term or not, but I, I don't have, I might've seen that in DSM. <laughs> Right. But it's, you know, and so I thought we talk about laying down new neural pathways, right? We talk about that in, in recovery all the time and, um, getting the frontal cortex to kick back in instead of, of, you know, having everything function from the midbrain. Right. Yep. Absolutely. So, so those medical treatments help with that stuff. They help facilitate. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, you know, it's not a one and done. So I don't do neurofeedback in my office, but we do the TMS. Um, it's 36 treatments. So you're doing, it's, it's, it's a, a daily thing. Yeah. It's a commitment. So it's not, it's not a quick fix. Um, and it matters what you're doing the other 23 hours of the day. So I'm, I'm always preaching, like, you got to make sure you exercise it. You got to make sure you get sunlight and you got to make sure you're, you're doing things that augment these neural pathways mm. because it augments whatever neural pathways, you know, in our behaviors, solidify that right absolutely yeah i think that the combination of either medication or some type of medical treatment like tms and some talk therapy is critical and and here's why so i i'm an advanced substance use disorder counselor right i i'm not by any stretch of the imagination a trauma-informed therapist type okay you know i focus mostly on cognitive function behavioral stuff relapse prevention therapy probably 80 or 90%, right? Right. However, working in the field of psychology, counseling, therapy, whatever you want to call it, you're going to come across trauma. For sure. One of the things that, that I learned is the therapeutic benefit of telling somebody your story of trauma from start to finish and not having them be disgusted or reject you. Right. Because I feel like, and again, I'm pulling this from school and and a lot of, frankly, TED Talks and things that I've heard, right? But somebody was basically saying trauma didn't happen at the event. Trauma is what imprinted in your psyche. Your psyche. Yeah. Right. And so it's not necessarily, let's, let's use war, for example. The trauma wasn't the event that happened. Mm-hmm. It was your perception and how it imprinted in your, yeah. in your mind. And that's probably why some people, two different people can experience the same thing right. and it affects one person more than the other. Exactly. And also how I understand it is a lot of that comes with this belief system about yourself. That's yeah. where the, the real imprint lays down because look, let's say you know, somebody who has some PTSD for more. Mm-hmm. I think it's one thing to shoot at a target. And I think it's one thing to, you know, go through the motions of training. Training, yeah. My grandpa told a story about um, he fought in World War II and he came up over a berm and he drew and Japanese guy drew. They both shot and my grandpa ended up living and he didn't. Wow. And he shared that 
I don't know if he was going through his pockets or what, but somehow his wallet, he got to his wallet and he had the exact same amount of kids back home as my grandpa. Oh man. And that, right. You can get all the training in the world. Yeah. But until you've experienced something like that. Right. Where you're, it's got to hit you in a certain depth of, you know, your, your psyche that is pretty tough. Pretty impactful. Yeah. And I think, you know, our belief system is create, it's taught to us. So my theory on belief system, which is, I agree with you, it, it totally impacts what you do with what happens to you. Yeah. So like and, that soldier's yeah. narrative or in their mind, right. I'm this terrible person who took another human's yeah. life who has four kids back home, just, like, just like I do. Yeah. And so then you go back home and you're around your four kids and the whole time you're thinking, Feeling what guilty. happened to dude yeah. from the war that I killed and how's his wife doing? Yeah. And how's his kids doing? Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. belief system now, there's where the real trauma is embedded. Yeah. So when you think about that, like, so as children, like, so when we grow up, our environment, we are taught who we are, mm. right? So we're taught like our role in the family, we're taught our worth or lack thereof. And we're taught who we are by how we're treated by our parents, our siblings, our teachers, everyone around us. Without even realizing Without it. even realizing it. And I believe that I that belief system becomes our gravity. Mm. And think about it. Like when was the last time you thought about gravity? <laughs> Never? Yeah. Right. Like never, unless you're going to, I don't even know if you think about it, if you jump out of a plane, like we never think about it, but it is one of the most powerful forces on this planet. Right. Absolutely. We don't ever think about it. And our belief system is what drives our reality. So our thinking patterns and we will recreate, I'm sure you've heard this, like, so depending on what your belief system is, you'll recreate that as an adult with the people around you, not even knowing. So you see the woman who's with an abusive husband, then they get a divorce. She marries someone else and he turns out to be abusive. And she's like, why do I keep doing this? And I, it's, it's an unawareness of what her true gravity is. And looking back, the statistical, she probably came from a father who was abusive to her mother. Right. And or that was normal. To or her. yeah, somebody where she believed she learned mm-hmm. that that was part of who she is and what she deserves. Right. Absolutely. So that's your normal, even if you don't like it. So I think you have to, one of the more pieces is understanding what your belief system is. So you don't recreate it. That's why like children who are traumatized, let's just say sexually, they go one of two ways, but they're typically sexually assaulted multiple times as they get older. Right. And that has a lot to do with their belief system. Mm. Right. Because that's, that is something that they learn to expect. They learn to, and I think predators, these are all my crazy theories, but I think predators kind of can sense or I'm saying smell, not literally, but can sense that in someone. Pick up on those nonverbal cues or. Yeah. Yeah. And they can find those people. So we have to understand what our belief system is and how we got it so that we can change that, which is really hard through our actions, right? It's not feeling different. And then we act different. We act different first. Right. Actions first, feelings will follow. Yes, exactly. And I think a lot of what you're talking about might sound a, a little, you know, confusing or whatever, but just think of like computer programming, you know, that's confusing. Every single I'm okay. just well, we all, most of us <laughs> have kidding, like kidding. Apple phones, right? Right. We'll think about it. Work it. They send up, they send every so often yeah. software updates. And yeah. so if you think of it like that, a lot of the stuff that your belief systems, the way you act, the way you behave, the way you interpret other people, yeah. and your role in this life is based on your past programming. Right. And That's so a great way of putting I, it. Yeah. I feel like doing therapy is like getting that software update. Right. And taking a look at what's the old bugs, how right. do we fix them? How do we yeah. overcome them and yeah. get some new stuff in there? Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to, man, great stuff. I also wonder, because one of the common themes you touched on, you know, there's a lot of different abuse out there, right? There's physical, yeah. there's sexual, there's emotional. So you touched on the sexual abuse piece. Let's dive into that for a second. One of the common themes that I find with somebody who had either been sexually abused as a child or raped or anything like that, they become hypersexually active. Mm-hmm. And, and help me understand that a little bit more. Is it because they're trying to 
change the past event in the current time? How is it that they've gone through something so traumatic and instead of being aversive to it, they're almost drawn to it? That's a good question. And I think it goes one of two ways. I think either they become hypersexual or adverse, Mm -hmm. adversely sexual. But when you think of a child who is sexually abused, it, it gets really complicated because it isn't always going to be painful as a child being sexually abused. So there's going to be times where it like it feels good because that's our our organs. Those are our sexual organs. Okay. And if you touch them, they feel good. So it gets it, it really is hard for a child to wrap their head around because they they'll they'll know it's bad, but it feels good. And if they liked it, now their body has betrayed them and they form an attachment to their body and their sexuality in, in a very, um, dysfunctional way. Yeah. Right. And so, and that sort of guides, you know, they may learn that that's their, that's how they get love. Mm. Right. They'll associate that with love. So which would, would end up having someone be hypersexual because yeah. sex means love. Right, 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 right. They, but get I've that, all, yeah, sorry. they get that underlying message. And and back to the original point we made in the first part of this is your, your brain and your body, there's a disconnection. There can yeah. be a disconnection with a lot of the different types of trauma. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so. But there's yeah. also women who, or men, but like, it, so going back to like to undo the past, I've, I've seen that too, where let's say someone a little older, right, is raped by, and most rapes happen from someone they know. Right. It's not someone on it. I mean, that it's not does happen. That broke in through a window or kicked right. their door in. Right. Not typically. That's very rare. It does happen, but it's rare. So they'll go back to that same person and have um, sex, hoping to undo being violated, sexually to violated. To change the events yeah. that previously yeah. happened. Yeah, and that's sort of like a subconscious psyche. Like if I just go and have sex voluntarily, then maybe I won't feel so violated, right? Right, right. yeah. Which is very, dis- it, that doesn't work. Again, back to being able to talk to somebody about whatever the trauma that you've mm-hmm. been through yeah. and having having them come from a place of empathy and understanding. I, I always try to, when somebody's telling me something that's near and dear to their heart, I, I really try to focus on my response, right? Because yeah. I think that's a big part of like, we've all been through some tough stuff. Yeah. And if somebody tells me something and I'm like, oh my gosh. Right. You know, You're like, yeah. then obviously that, that reinforces their belief that there's something wrong with me. I'm broken. I'm disgusting. Right. I'm right. Like, yeah. and so I, I think that, um, that therapeutic rapport and being able to, to work up to walking through some of this tough stuff is important to get to know each other. Yeah. Comfortability. Yeah. All that. And I think there's in a lot of ways, I mean, there's definitely some things you got to do for trauma therapy, but in a lot of ways, it's not a magic trick. It's like what you were saying is saying it out loud, saying it to somebody else can be the most cathartic thing you experience is just relieving yourself of it by sharing it with someone else. And I think you need to share it with someone who has the skills to know what to do with that information. Yes, well said. Rather than a friend. I mean, and I'm not saying you can't tell your friends, but they, they're they not really going to know what to do with that. Well, and, and frankly, they're, they most likely will not be in a situation where they're comfortable maybe having that conversation in the first place, which you right. might get that negative reaction, which reinforces that negative belief. Right which may keep you from ever telling anybody ever again. Right. Or you can trauma bond or you can cause somebody else secondary trauma. Right. Like there's, and it, it, I don't, we're not saying don't talk about it. Right. But I think it's being really strategic one on who you talk to about it. Cause I think that can cause even the person that who, who has been traumatized secondary trauma, oops, secondary yep. trauma. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Um, but being productive, because I mean, I've heard some like really terrible, terrible, terrible trauma, and it's amazing because it. I don't really think it matters what your trauma is. It does matter in a way, but it's what you do with it that there's always freedom from that. And I tell my patients, it's almost like you live in a murder in this house, and there's like this murder in the house, and there's blood everywhere, and there's and this sounds horrible, but 
when you live with your trauma, it's like that. So you have this pathway and you have to keep your eyes down. And then, then you like, but in your peripheral vision, you can see the blood and you can see. So you're always trying to keep your eyes down, right? Trying to avoid it. Trying yep. to avoid it. Yep. And once, once you've done your trauma therapy, it's like you've cleaned it all up. You put it into a container and you put it in, you know, in the basement in a lock in a storage room or whatever and shut the door. So you can't take it out. You're never going to forget it, but it's like having a scar. No longer living in it. Yeah. You don't live in it. You're not trying to avoid it. Yeah. I think also we, we got about a minute and a half here. I wish we had a little bit more time, but for the person that does get that verbal um, story where somebody, you know, let's say you trust me and you tell me about your trauma. Yeah. Please. One of the, th- one of the things, believe them, be empathetic. Yeah. Don't try to realize that you don't have to fix it. You don't have to solve it. You don't have to do anything yeah. with it. You just create space yeah. and security, yep. safety for them to be able to share whatever it is that they need to share. Right. Without questions, without, you know, uh, disbelief. Right. Yeah. Um, just share share space with them. Almost imagine yourself going into a room with them. So you're sitting in their room with them. You're not taking them into your room. Yeah. You're sitting with them, letting them talk about it. Yeah. You don't have to do anything with it. I like that. Or as simple as thank you for trusting me to be able to share that with me. Yeah. Right. That, that can be huge in and of itself. Yeah. I I feel like, especially me, I'm, I'm learning, you know, something about, now I'm going to get sexist, but us males, we feel like we got to fix it. Felix. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Which most of the time we end up being more like Wreck-It Ralph. Right. <laughs> like I can fix it. <laughs> Caprice, thank you so much for coming on My and pleasure. having this conversation with me. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. We'll see you guys next week for episode 140. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center, Rise Up Subs in the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of its sponsors. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.